Well, hello, and welcome back to Camp Wire, the American Camp Association's podcast on all things camp. I'm Sam Hurt. I host the podcast. I'm on the communications team here at ACA. Uh, this month's episode is really awesome. Uh, it's it really it was an incredible episode where I got to kind of take a step back and just listen. Um, I uh, I asked our friend, uh, our good friend Neonbi Jaha Eccles, to sort of moderate a discussion. Um, about inclusion at camp with uh, a current board member, Roberto Gill, and our friend from the YMCA, Chad Hugh. And it, it was really, it was really great. It, I got to be a listener and just listen to all of their ideas of how uh, to incorporate inclusion at camp, where to start, um, how to infuse it into staff training, which is coming up or has is happening now for a lot of camps. Yeah, it was a, really a, a great um, experience for me and it's going to be awesome for you to listen so I'm going to let that happen now and uh, they're going to introduce themselves when this episode when the conversation starts All right. I want to say thank you for everybody to everybody for joining us for this episode of Camp Wire. My name is Niambi Jaha Eccles, and I am your moderator for this uh, and slash participant for this uh, particular episode on inclusion. And um, just to give you a little bit of background about me, I am a former um, ACA board member. I also um, have sat on the um, diversity and inclusion committee, subcommittee for the, um, for the board. I also work on the planning committee for the national conference and um, as well as the board development committee currently. And I also have my own company called Cross-Cultural Agility, where I work with as a consultant for organizations, camps, um, helping with that whole um, DNI and um, helping them to do organizational audits and those kinds of things. So this is a passion point for me, and I'm really excited about um, this conversation today with Roberto Gill and Chad Hugh. And I'll let each of them introduce themselves. Chad, I hope I, I said your name right. Um, we have Absolutely. not met in person, but um, I'd like to give you an opportunity to in, to briefly introduce yourself. Perfect. So can everybody hear me? I'm Chad Hugh. I am uh, have the honor of serving as the Director of Diversity and Inclusion uh, for YMC of the USA, being a part of our Diversity, Inclusion, and Global team. Originally from Hawaii, uh, 16-year Y professional uh, with experience in New York City, Honolulu, Hawaii, and Chicago. I had the honor of traveling to 38 countries around the world. Consider myself uh, an unending global citizen, always looking to learn and be a student of this beautiful global village we all live in. Wonderful, wonderful. And we also have Roberto Gill. Roberto, would you mind introducing yourself? Absolutely. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Roberto Gill. I'm a current uh, national board member of the American Camp Association. I chair the uh, Diversity and Inclusion Task Force. And uh, I, in my day-to-day -day job, I am the director of programs for Princeton Blairstown Center. We are an outdoor education center uh, that runs all kinds of experiential and adventure-based programs uh, and 
diversity and inclusion are a big part of what we do. So I'm excited to have this conversation with everyone today. Yes, awesome. Well, it, it's apparent that diversity and inclusion is a passion point for all of us. And I want to kick off this conversation today because I think we talk about diversity and inclusion a lot. It, it's become this um, this thing that you know it's it's everybody is talking about, and camp is is no exception to that. And I think we're trying to find ways to include everybody into this experience. Um, but in your opinion, um, what does inclusion look like at camp? I mean, what does it really look like? Um, how how would you um, how do we know that we've we've achieved it, or how can a camp know that you know we we've, we've kind of gotten to this holy grail? Either of you have any suggestions? What does it look like? Go ahead, Chad. No, I think um, and I'm sure Roberto is, is, has much more uh, profound insight than I'm about to offer here. But I think <laughs> you know, inclusion oftentimes is as simple as everyone being able to be their authentic self. Right, mm -hmm. as simple as there being space for healthy conflict, for divergence, difference, and diversity of perspectives, of beliefs, of cultures, um, first at the staff level, but also at the at the camper level. Uh, I think sometimes uh, we also make the uh, well-intentioned mistake that we can assess inclusion objectively. You know, it's mm -hmm. something that is very much a personal um, sort of. Uh, decision whether or not a human being whether that human being is five years old or 50 years old or 75 years old or older uh, each human being gets to decide for themselves if they feel truly um, a part of not apart from the camp that they're at um, but I'll pause my rambling there for Roberto <laughs> yeah no I think that's uh, a great idea um, for me I I've been lucky enough that all of my work in the camp field uh, and actually my entire professional career has been uh, with nonprofits serving uh, underserved communities. And so that for me is sort of where this passion and this desire has stemmed from because uh, I get the privilege of serving communities who generally weren't a part of the camp movement. Uh, and for me, it starts with, uh, as Chad said, uh, staff. And so one of the things that I've always really worked very hard to do is make sure that our staff are reflective of the young people we're serving. Mm -hmm. uh, and from there, it really just is built up upon relationships because I think relationship building is the key to making anyone feel comfortable in our camp environments. Um, so. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I think that, that, you know, sometimes we think about inclusion as this, as this place to get to. But in, in my view, um, I think inclusion is, and I've said this many times, it's, it's, it has to be who we are and not something that we do. And you can't, you know, you can get a whole bunch of people in a room or in your experience. But what I, what I find that a lot of camps, what they struggle with is, you know, they send out this call to um, all of these different groups and maybe offer scholarships and those things for, for diverse campers. And then when they come, they, they, they don't have the retention. You know, they don't stay. And so there's something in that's missing in translation where people will come to the party, but you can't ever get them to come back or they don't feel like they've, they're rooted in the experience. Absolutely. So what do you think is missing or how do, we, how do we bridge that divide where people actually are rooted in the experience, you know, and, and camp becomes part of, 
of um, not just something that they attend, but become part of their fiber as well. So I think I want uh, something Roberto said actually is a great platform for us to work from to answer that question. I mean, I think, you know, absolutely. Our staff and volunteer team at camp needs to be reflective of the diversity of the communities that we serve. For many camps, however, the term community can be challenging, right? For some mm-hmm. camps, community is the whole United States. For some camps, it's literally the world. And so how do we really make sure that we are looking across all dimensions of diversity and really ensuring that um, we, our team isn't just looking like the world, but also can effectively engage it. So one of the ways that we talk about that is seeds and soil, right? A lot of times for a lot of camps, maybe many of the folks listening to this, we're so focused on the seeds, right? Whether the seeds are campers, or the seeds are staff, or the seeds are board members. Is it the right kind of seed? Is it going to grow into the right kind of plant? Is it the right color seed or the right shape of seed? You have the right type of experience, the right level of income. But we forget that the soil, the actual culture, the policies, practices, and procedures that govern and guide how our camps work, that those have to evolve to be the right nutrients, if we're going to follow the seed analogy, to ensure that those seeds are able to be retained, or rather, to grow, to reach their fullest potential with dignity, to blossom into the beautiful human beings they're supposed to be, to be catalysts and mechanisms for bridge building across the most challenging social divides, if we really look at campus as a great equalizer. So those are just some initial thoughts. Yeah, I like that. I like that analogy, because I've used that a lot, and in, in that, you know, it, it's like, if you've got a garden and you've only got one type of plant, you know, then what are you, and, and you want hummingbirds, for instance, or butterflies or bees that are not in your garden, then yeah. you've got to plant something different in your garden, in your yeah. soil. So that's, that's a wonderful analogy. Roberto, you, you have anything to add? Yeah, actually, uh, I'm a very visual person, and so I love the analogy as well. Um, the one that I used to use and, and sort of was always my go-to was, uh, thinking of diversity as a box of crayons and diversity is all of those different crayons in that box and inclusion is the incredible artwork we can make when all of those sort of work together. Mm. Um, but to get back to sort of the initial question that you posed, uh, I think it always comes back to me and sometimes I feel like I'm a broken record because it always comes back to relationship building and sort of those mm. communication skills Um, One of the things that we do here at Princeton Blairstown Center is our entire focus is on social emotional learning. And so we may play a field game, um, but afterwards we'll sort of debrief it and talk about what were the skills that we learned, what communication uh, practices, and what did it actually look like that helped us uh, be successful in that activity or that game. And so we go back to that, and I think that is really like I said, I think relationships are why people stay, why people return. Um, And so whatever we can do to help build those. And I think camp is a great natural environment where all of those things are happening. There's a lot of great research coming out of uh, the five-year study that ACA is doing that uh, social emotional learning is really one of those key outcomes of a camp experience. Mm -hmm. So, so how do you, um, you know, some of the listeners are actually, as they're preparing for this next season of camp for this summer, how do they, what are some practical things that, that um, camp directors can do to be more inclusive? You know, a lot of the training during the summer or as you prepare for the summer, it's about risk management and trying to make sure that, you know, kids don't get, you know, hurt at, you know, during the different activities. And there's a lot of logistical things that go on. So what are some of the, the first steps in this season as they're preparing for, for this next season of camp this summer? 
what could some camp directors, what are some of the practical things that they can do to be more inclusive? So this is one of my, I'm sorry. Uh, This is one of my favorite topics is training staff and sort of that pre-summer work that we do. And for me, a lot of it uh, goes back to sort of that team building, community building that we do with young people. Uh, For example, um, almost every camp I know has a training workshop on youth development. Uh, One of the things that I do, instead of sort of just sharing okay, these are the characteristics of boys between the ages of 10 and 12. What, how I sort of preface that is we'll do an activity where everyone is given an age and I start with sort of a meditative exercise where people close their eyes and we sort of go back in time and we think about ourselves as a 10-year-old, as a 12-year-old, as a 14-year-old. Uh, and then they're given these ages and they have to uh, – on a poster-sized paper sort of draw out what their life was like at that age. And so it's a way for us to sort of talk about the different uh, commonalities and youth development principles that we all know of, uh, but by sharing our own life stories. And so it helps to build that team sense of team and that networking. And then in terms of diversity and inclusion training, for me, I always like to start with identity work and um, Because the fact is, at least my experience, is most people love to talk about themselves. And so (laughs) starting with this uh, exercise where we're just sharing who our identities are, one of the ones that I love to do is uh, we call it uh, identity poker. And so they'll create five cards of any identities that they want. It could be their race or ethnicity. It could be the fact that they're the youngest child or that I always put that I'm a Texas Longhorn. That's a big part of who I am. And so they can pick the five identities and then we just talk about that and why they chose the identities that they chose. Uh, And then we'll go into something a little bit more deeper. uh, And one of my absolute favorite training activities of all time is one that I call the thought museum. Thought is an idea. Uh, And so I'll have poster boards across the room and I've collected over the years a variety of memes and images that just talk about different uh, are related to diversity, inclusion, equity, um, all kinds of things. And I'll just have people for 30 minutes walk around with a marker and write down their first thoughts. Uh, And then we'll sort of debrief each of the pictures and talk about what people's reactions were for me. Uh, the best training around diversity and inclusion is really just to get people talking. Uh, once they're talking, then we can sort of really dive into deeper issues. But um, for me, it's all about conversation starters. Absolutely. Absolutely. How about you, Chad? What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, so I think Roberto covered a lot of what I would say. I think that the only thing that I would add to his great comments is really, and he's been saying this throughout the context of it, is, is relationship building to underscore a level of comfort and awareness of the individual and perhaps in some cases organizational or even systemic biases that may exist in how our camps are set up. Uh, because that then will give us space for trainings to be effective in a way that is really uh, profound. I think, you know, sometimes when we talk about our equity and we talk about systematic change, especially in the camp arena, again, we get very focused on programmatic solutions as opposed to systemic ones. Uh, One example that I'll give is, you know, we can give, and everybody gave this example, financial assistance until we're blue in the teeth, right? Mm -hmm. However, if we are not looking at making sure that where and how those applications are even provided at the welcome center for a camp, 
if we're not looking at whether or not the process for intake, in other words, does it have to be the cap director who approves this? And, and is that something where someone has to come face to face? For some cultures, that's not going to be okay. I'll tell you, like even for my own family, uh, when I was a young person, I remember going to a Y camp that shall remain nameless. I remember having to ask my mom to come back for an interview because that's what they did at the time. And she was like, yeah, I'm not doing that because there's no way that I'm going to lower myself. I mean, this is more so what she would articulate to me now, right? Uh, being Asian American, being Japanese American, at the time she was a single mom, she was a nurse, right? She's not going to lower herself to a camp director to say, oh, gee, I really, really need your support, you know, super camp person. This needs to be looked at from a lens of how we alter, again, our policies, practices, and procedures with a lens of inclusion and equity to make sure that our approaches are one that are... Um, meeting people where they are, meeting communities where they are in that. That then underpins, in my humble opinion, the impact and effectiveness of training. Uh, Roberta, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this down by you as well. I mean, I think sometimes we, uh, and especially in the cap arena, get our, get, our, um, get our intentions a little bit unintentionally crisscrossed. We think training can fix our challenge. Mm-hmm. We, get, we think training can address an issue. And training really is only one a very small sliver of a very delicious, diverse, if you will, pie, right? We need to look at the whole package, training being a part of it. But again, the policies, practices, and procedures that govern and guide how we work are individual biases. The fact that, you know, if we pull together a random group of five staff at any of the camps for any of the folks that are listening to this, we may have diversity perspectives of even what the term financial assistance means, or even Mm -hmm. what the term family group means, or even what the term gendered cabin heaven forbid, means there's so much richness that we need to be able to work through to make sure that our trainings are not just superficial conversations that we can check off the box and say, hey, it's awesome that we did it, right? Right, right. Into the depth of the core of the social issues that are polarizing and challenging our communities and thus polarizing and challenging our wives and thus providing us a platform for some really inspirational, transformative, and dare I say, revolutionary change. Absolutely. Well, I, I agree with you. I think that I think you're absolutely right. I think what we're in a in a very microcosmic way is dealing with this this problem or this challenge that we have across the country and across the world. Or how do we build bridges and and build relationships and honor all of these different cultures? And I think camp is a wonderful laboratory to do that because it's the only it's one of the few places where you can. Um, really control the environment. You can control every aspect of the environment more so than we can do in the in the the real world. But you can you can really control every aspect from recruitment to from the first level of engagement, and all of those things have to be thoughtful processes and and mindfully crafted and all under the lens of relationship building. I think, I think that's what you're saying in a, a nutshell, maybe. Um, or to add to what you're saying, Chad. Roberto, what, do you have anything that you'd like to, to add to that? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Uh, this year was the first year that in addition to sort of the activities that I mentioned earlier, I actually purposely included uh, a session on implicit bias. Uh, and so we actually uh, had all of our staff members take some of the uh, implicit bias test uh, through the implicit uh, project uh, through Harvard uh, University. Uh, and then we talked about uh, our findings and what each of us worked on, because I always get nervous when I, if I start a training and talk about 
uh, stereotypes and bias. And there's always the one or two people who say, oh, I don't, I'm not affected by those. And the fact is, all of us are. Right. Uh, can't help but be affected by biases. Uh, I'm going to do an activity uh, with a group uh, later this week uh, called the Circle of Trust, uh, where you simply just... Um, list out six to 10 people who are not related to you, who you really trust, who are your sounding board. Uh, and then as the facilitator, I will list, uh, say race or ethnicity or gender or sex or uh, religion. And you're gonna check off those who are the same as yourself. And for most people, uh, those, those, those in your circle of trust are very similar to yourself. And it's mm -hmm. sort of a phenomenon called affinity bias. and it can be a positive, but it can also affect us negatively in that we will uh, instinctively give bigger projects or more challenging projects to those who are in our same in-group. Uh, and so it can affect the, those in the out-group. Uh, and so it's just a really interesting way to sort of think about all the things that we bring ourselves to the, the party. Uh, as mm -hmm. you said, there's many things that we can control about uh, the camp environment. We make the hiring decisions. We d design the training. We design the activities. Um, but we also have to remember that we all come with our own sort of baggage. And yes. how do we address that? And how do we make sure that those conversations are just the starts of conversations? We're not going to solve the world's problems in a two-hour session on diversity. As much right. as I would love to be able to do that, it's just not <laughs> Uh, and so how can we keep those conversations going? How can we help people sort of just start being a little bit more open to the other? Um, one of the other exercises that I'll often do um, when I start any sort of work uh, on a topic like this is I'll have people uh, interlace their fingers as if they were going to pray. Uh, and most people will do it one way or the other. And then we'll talk a little bit as how does that feel? And then I'll ask them to interlay it the opposite way so that the other thumb is over um, the thumb. Uh, and we'll talk about how does that feel? And people will often say, well, it feels different and it doesn't feel right. Uh, but then we'll have a conversation. Well, was it wrong though? Uh, and so just ha being open to those different perspectives. We get, we're such creatures of habit. Uh, and so being open to other ideas uh, and opportunities, I think, is the sort of the key for us. Absolutely. That's that's beautifully stated. I love I love all of that. And I love the practical um, the fact that you're you're so generously sharing some activities that actually work the practical things that people could actually implement and probably kind of tailor to themselves. But I, I think you hit on the point of, you know, what is the, you know, when we talk about diversity, what does that really look like? Because we come with our, we all come with our unconscious biases and, and those kinds of things. And in, a, in an environment, we can't, you know, diversity is as diverse as the word itself. Absolutely. So sometimes we think, you know, we want everybody to be included in the party, but do we really have the capacity for to include everybody. So Chad, how do how do camps really define what diversity is and and so that it becomes this meaningful and attainable thing? That's a great question. I think, you know, 
my first reaction to answer is that that's not something for, for me or Roberto, for that matter, to decide for each camp. That's something for each camp to have a real honest conversation with itself yes. on what diversity, uh, sorry, Roberto, I'm going to speak for you, <laughs> around what <laughs> means for them. For some camps, diversity may be um, looking at uh, intentional efforts around uh, young people and campers and staff of different cultures or different racial and ethnic groups. For some, it may be around income. For some, it may be around gender. For some, it may be around ability or diversible or disability. You know, for some, it may be around uh, more intentional efforts related to the LGBTQ community or faith. Mm -hmm. um, at YA of the USA, we have a diversity wheel uh, that I think some folks probably have seen that really frames sort of multiple dimensions of diversity with the context of intersectionality and the idea that each human being uh, for each human being, who we are and how we would self-identify often differs from how the collective and the world sees us. So therefore, for each camp, we have to be honest that sometimes uh, what we think, what we see uh, is diverse, may not actually be the diversity that we're actually aiming for again, which is why that conversation, you know, whether at the board level with your senior team, uh, or if, if it's with the folks that are charged with the recruitment for a specific camping season, or maybe it's even just a conversation um, with all of the above that intersects in some way through a, through a DNI or DEI committee of some kind to define for yourself what diversity is and then to really look at sort of, I almost want to say asset mapping. Roberta may have better language for this, but we sometimes look, think about diversity as something that's out there, something we don't have. Uh, at mm -hmm. YUSR experience, and we have a ton of resources available through our camp cabinet and our internet link for those of you that are Y staff and those that are not, we're happy to share them. But sometimes we have to start with having a conversation around what diversity we do have as opposed to what diversity we don't have. Let's take an asset-based approach, right? Mm -hmm. well, what resources we do have as opposed to what resources we don't. Otherwise, we get stacked into this sort of ideology of all the things we can't do and all the people we don't have and all the communities we don't engage as opposed to looking at what we do have and starting there. But I'll stop there. Yeah, no, I really uh, – go ahead, Miami. No, no, no. I was just going to say that's beautiful. Go, go ahead, Roberto. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think, um, as I mentioned, uh, I'm the chair of the uh, task force for diversity and inclusion for the ACA National Board. And we've had in our work, we've had many conversations of what does diversity mean? What are we talking about? And we ultimately came to that same conclusion that it's it's not for us to decide. It's for each individual camp to decide. Um, for example, uh, we we wouldn't tell a, a camp that's specific for one gender that they have to take the other gender. Uh, we wouldn't tell a religious camp that they have to do certain programming that doesn't uh, align with their religious beliefs. Uh, so it's really about, uh, as Chad mentioned, thinking about who you are serving and where could you add uh, more uh, young people from. Uh, for me, when I sort of think of it like that, it's almost – I struggle when people are challenged by the idea of diversity because to me, it's just serving more young people and who could, who, who can disagree with the idea of serving more young people. I think everyone in this field wants to serve more young people. Like that's what we're about. Uh, and really by doing that, you're going to naturally add more diversity to your program. So I encourage people always to just think about who, Start with who you're serving and who can you, who else in your community, however you define community, can you add? So that might be uh, people of a different socioeconomic background. It might be people from the LGBTQI community. It could be all kinds of things. Uh, 
one of the colleagues on the task force said something to me once that I thought was really uh, profound and exciting in that, um, and I hope I don't mess up the phrase, but it went along something along the lines of, we believe that there is a camp for everybody, but not every camp is for everybody, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that really sort of helped put it in perspective because you can get so lost in the language and what groups do we include in a, a statement or in w- what in our goals of what we want to do. And so, again, just sort of going back to the idea of what other kids or young people or adults, who else can we serve uh, and it bring into our community, however we define that. Right. And that gets back to what Chad said earlier, and, and I think you both reiterated the two sort of like those two main points of, you know, getting back to the seeds and the soil of what does your soil have the capacity to serve? You know, what, you know, looking at the landscape of your camp. And then the second is doing this um, asset-based diversity assessment of being able to to look at how, um, from an asset-based perspective of who are you serving and looking at the, you know, the diversity that's already at, at hand. And it's probably not as dire as most camps look because the optics aren't, you know, giving us the, the, the colorful optics. You may not have the colorful optics, but you might have diversity that's going unnoticed and yeah. that you can, you can build on for sure. Um, the other piece is that, you know, as, as um, camps are now, you know, again, gearing up for this next session of camp, this next season of camp, how can we, what are some of the ways that they can to kind of incorporate uh, training? And Roberto, you've given us some wonderful ideas and hopefully there's maybe some more or Chad, you might have some ideas on how do you incorporate this kind of training in your staff? I know one of the things that uh, I've come across with some stand, uh, camps is that they're afraid to do this kind of diversity work in a sense because they, you know, they don't know, they, they don't have enough time during their staff training to cover everything that may come up. And so there's this kind of push-pull of where do we start and how do we, you know, make the, the tent larger. Um, it, it just becomes overwhelming because a lot of times maybe it's the concentration on the deficit rather than the asset. But are there any other ways that people can kind of expand that net, especially during that training season or the training um, time? It's hmm. a good question. Um, I think for me, the other thing that I have used in the past and that I kind of like, and I think right now there's a lot of great resources is, uh, as I said, everything is really about a conversation starter. And so I've used clips uh, and uh, short segments of movies and TV shows uh, that show a different perspective uh, and show uh, some of the issues that the communities that we're serving uh, deal with on a day-to-day basis and just use those as a, a conversation starter. Uh, I know one of the areas that uh, I've talked a lot about with people is how do camps uh, help uh, serve more and more of the Latino popu- Latinx population. Uh, and I've always explained that uh, my background is Mexican American. I was born in Texas. And so I'm somewhat familiar with a, a portion of uh, the Latinx pool. Um, but 
one of the things that growing up I always knew like we weren't we didn't go and spend the night at other people's homes even relatives there were some that we didn't spend the night at uh, and it's a, it's very much of a cultural thing and I came across uh, on Netflix um, a show um, one day at a time uh, which is a remake of the original show but it stars a Cuban family and there's an episode where the young man wants to go to a concert and he asks his mom and she's like no no way you'll get molested. Something will happen to you. And he's like, um, no, I've never been molested. And she's like, well, thank you. You should be thanking me because I've never let you go anywhere. So nothing's ever happened. <laughs> and I swear I've had that conversation with my mother at least three times um, <laughs> in the not distant past. Uh, and so it was just something that was very relatable to me, but someone who's not from that community might, it might be very uh, new to them. And so using clips uh, like that, I think I've also used clips from Blackish uh, and mm-hmm. uh, Fresh Off the Boat. I think there's you're, there's there's still a lot of room for more diversity on television, but there there's slowly there's things out there that you can use as conversation starters. Yes, I think you did a masterful job this um, this past um, conference season, and we're in Nashville, where and I was able to be in your session, and I think you did a masterful job of of giving us all of those tools and resources and, and actually experience felt like we were experiencing one of your trainings, (laughs) a staff training, because it was just so um, impactful. And you had a lot of the tools that you used and, and we were able to kind of experience them. And um, I think people got a lot out of that session for sure. Well, thank you. Just real quick. The uh, the reason I sort of do that, because I think, uh, and I think this happens outside of the nonprofit world, but as I said, my entire career has been in the nonprofit world, is we're so afraid of uh, borrowing and using other people's ideas. Like we're constantly recreating the wheel. And to me, that's just the silliest thing I've ever experienced. There's so many great things and ideas that we can all just share. And ultimately the kids are better off for it. So yeah, uh, I'm always about sharing ideas and tips and, uh, borrowing and quote unquote stealing others. So right, right. I will well, always it's, do it's that. Sharing, and I and I and I I do the same thing because I think that that's how we. You know, if you've got something great, there are seven over seven billion people on the planet, and there's enough for everybody. So the audience yeah. that I have will never be probably the audience that you have. Um, and there may be some some overlap, but there's enough people that need this information that you know in your sphere, you won't be able to get to them. So uh, why not share the idea so that they can go viral in a sense and that everybody's getting this information in a, in a different way. I, I love it. And I'm, I'm also a big sharer as well. How about you, Chad? What, what are your uh, thoughts? I, yes. And to everything Roberto said, I love <laughs> the idea of tying it to things that people would watch of their own free will TV. Mm-hmm. You know? I think Netflix is a genius invention, as is YouTube, where you can download the videos and weave them into your trainings. I think one thing that is also super cool is, uh, and Roberta, I think you spoke to this as well, having one or two questions to simply process after one of those videos Roberta's talking about. Sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah. Sometimes we overthink what the word trainings are. I mean, a lot of times, you know, our team at YUSA gets asked to come and deliver something that's supposed to be transformative and revolutionary, to use the words <laughs> that I love <laughs> before. And that's a tall order. 
And sometimes what really works isn't all the slides and all the PDFs and all the frameworks that we spent eons developing, but it's simply a question that oftentimes isn't even posed by us, but mm. posed by someone in the camp. And a good facilitator simply says, let's pause. Let's reflect on what's just happened. Let's understand where that question came from, why that question was elevated. Let's talk. And that in itself is sometimes the most powerful elements of trainings. So making sure there's time for that. The other thing I would say to, to all my good camp friends out there is if we wait until training season, it's too late. Mm -hmm. yes. Absolutely. Right. By that point in training season usually is, forgive me, but for most camps, uh, the earliest I've seen it start is maybe April or May, right? For some mm -hmm. By that point, uh, recruitment is kind of already out there. Our marketing's already posted and paid. Our, our strategy's already sort of baked. And, you know, the, the bun's in the oven, so to speak. We need to think mm -hmm. about this a year in advance. We need mm -hmm. to think about this from the context of, again, training being a part of an organizational plan across oh. all aspects of how a camp works and operates. If we really do want to prioritize diversity and inclusion and as I think we all have said in so many different ways, it has to start with celebrating what we do have. Last time I checked, not a single human being, not a single camp director, not a single board, not a single staff, not a single staff team likes to be told, oh, you're missing something. What you've been doing for a hundred <laughs> years hasn't been working. Something's wrong with what you do. That does not work. We need to really take a step back. And you know, I think in the diversity, equity, inclusion sphere, one thing that we hear all the time is this idea of being an expert in this field. And I shudder every time I hear that expert. No, 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 no. What we are are facilitators who have had an opportunity to engage in intentional conversations around this, perhaps more than others. That's it. Just an opportunity. Mm -hmm. and if we can be reflectors of what we hear, what we learn, especially in the camp arena, that can be helpful. But I'd really encourage you know, to all the camp folks that are listening in, hopefully uh, quite a few, and then my Y colleagues as well, let's think about this holistically. Let's simply put, Think about this in the context of what's our end goal. Are we trying to be diverse so our pictures look all nice and diverse? Are we trying to you know, make sure that we meet a certain quota? If that's the answer, there's nothing wrong with that, but let's own it. Mm -hmm. If we're trying to bring young people together or people together that would not intersect at any other place except in our camp for building bridges of empathy, of understanding, although I don't necessarily like the word, even tolerance is better than ignorance, right? If that's the goal, so let's back up from there and put a plan in place. Training is a part of it. So too is uh, cultivation of potentially new board members. So too is advisory committees that penetrate specific communities. So too is looking at all the different things that we have um, in terms of our marketing communications plan, not just our website, which gets so much attention. Mm -hmm. What do we tweet and how do we tweet and when do we tweet and do we chat snap or I'm showing my age now, that chat snap. What's that thing called? Snapchat. <laughs> Thank you. Or do we use, as the kids say, the gram, right? Or do we, how do we communicate in all these mechanisms that, you know, young people are out there communicating on if that's our target audience? But I digress. No, you're, you're right on point. And, and for all the camp, uh, sadly, um, for, all, for everybody listening, basically what you're saying is that 2019, you, we've got to start looking at 2020 and looking ahead for yeah, recruitment. Absolutely. And all of these things on, on how to, to serve our communities. Ooh. But what are some of the things that we can do? Okay, we, we missed the mark on, on this year, because you're right, camp, you know, we've already sent everything out, our, our, our yeses, and you know, everybody's already set to go. How can we make this year a safe and productive and inclusive um, 
what are the first steps or even just sticking our toe in the water of, of making this year the best camp season um, that we can, given that even though we're looking at the North Star of next year and all of the things that we can do in the future, but what can we do right now, given that we're, you know, we don't have much time. Yeah, Roberto, do you mind if I take a stab at that one? Yeah, please. So, Nyambe, I think something that you mentioned is really important for a starting point in this, and that is that we do have to work on parallel tracks. You know, I, I have never had the privilege of being a director of a resident camp, but I have directed many, many day camps. And I've watched my resident camp director friends do their thing. And I think sometimes we get so stuck in the operations of today that we forget about the operations of tomorrow. And so first thing I would say is I would encourage working on parallel tracks so we don't end up in a yearly cycle of wishing we did something different. Because mm. it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be something that we get stuck in. And sometimes, and I, I was saying to a, a board that I was facilitating that wasn't a camp board recently, you ever heard the social contract? Everybody's like, yeah, we did that at camp. I'm like, yes, that's what this is. <laughs> that's all mm -hmm. this is. What is it that we agree to? Whether we're talking about the camp staff uh, senior team, whether we're talking about all the CITs or LITs, whether we're talking about all the counselors in a specific subcamp within a broader uh, sort of campus, what are the things that we would agree to to ensure that we all feel safe and welcome? List it out. And then how do we agree to hold each other accountable to it? That can be done like tomorrow, even if your camp started the day after that. Simple, easy. Sometimes we overthink, uh, I think, Roberto, if you agree, what we need to do to really try to create a safe and inclusive space. So that's my first answer. The second is we can get all theoretical on this and we can get all ideological on this. We can have an actual diversity, equity, inclusion statement that your camp may have that is intentionally lifted up in communications, in your camp orientations, in your staff orientations, in your handbooks, in your code of conducts, in your memorandum of understandings with partner organizations, if you're a conference center, making sure that everyone and anyone who has any interaction with our camp understands what our commitment is. And that's a way to do it in another way. You know, the last is making sure that there is a process. No one can ensure that everyone feels safe and welcome. Last time I checked, despite some of our best intentions, none of us is omnipotent, if that's the word. Therefore, process for how we react to challenges is just as important as the proactive pieces of it. If someone feels discriminated against, if there's a derogatory comment issued, if someone brings a dimension of diversity account that we've never experienced before, flipping that from an issue that needs to be addressed to, include, to an inclusion opportunity, that allows us to grow and do better is a primary opportunity to flip the narrative and see this, see this all as a beautiful, beautiful way to be better humans, for lack of a better term. Beautifully said. Thank you for that. Roberto, how about yourself? Any thoughts? Yeah, no, I would have uh, also said something. Uh, we call it here at PBC a full value contract, but it's basically uh, the same uh, social contract that uh, Chad mentioned. Uh, the only thing I would add to that conversation is try not to let, uh, don't let people rest on buzzwords. So one of the words you're going to hear the moment you talk about a social contract or a full value contract is let's respect each other. Okay. Well, what does that look like? Uh, tell mm -hmm. me what, how do you show respect? How do you want others to show you respect? Cause a lot of times we'll get stuck on the buzzwords and that buzzword can mean something very different to all of us. Uh, and so going a little bit beyond that, uh, and then I liked uh, how um, Chad just ended uh, his um, statement and 
I was sort of had written down something very similar, like being open to mistakes. One of the things that I like about uh, camp and uh, our sort of world is that it's very experiential learning uh, based. Uh, and the whole idea is that you learn often more from your mistakes than from when you get things correct. And so being open to things are going to happen. Uh, someone's going to come in and it's going to challenge your ideas of diversity or inclusion and being open to that, uh, being able to learn from that and having a process to debrief things at the end of the session or at the end of the summer so that you are learning from every summer. Uh, and this is relevant to diversity inclusion, but it's also relevant to risk management and, and program design and everything else that we do. Sort of having those processes in place so that you're not making the same mistake uh, over and over again. Uh, and every summer you're growing a little bit better. And I, as, as humans, I think that's all we can really try to do is we wanna be a little bit better uh, tomorrow than we were today. And the day after that, a little bit better than the day before that. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, this is a lot of um, yummy details here and we're almost out of time, but I want to make sure that we get any last thoughts and um, you both have been very thoughtful and very generous in, in your, um, your comments and your, and your thoughts around this and your expert and just very generous in, in um, sharing your expertise. So Chad, as we're, as we're kind of wrapping this up, do you have any closing thoughts or comments or anything that you'd like to share before we uh, wrap up this, uh, this episode? Sure, I think, uh, and I'm going to quote someone, I can't remember who, but it clearly is someone a lot more uh, articulate than I am, but we don't want to let perfection be the enemy of excellence, right? And we want to make sure that we don't let this fear of offending paralyze our ability to be compassionate. And that's something that in the camp arena, I think sometimes, and, and I'll broaden it out, in in the for-profit arena, in the nonprofit arena, in every possible arena, in every sphere where DE&I, diversity, equity, inclusion conversations are taking place, we're so afraid of othering, but we also all know what it's like to be othered. And I think I would just encourage um, everyone that's listening in to really take a chance. Nine times out of 10, it's how we recover if we make a mistake, not so much the mistake itself that we make. As long as we try really, really hard not to offend the same person two times in the same day in the same way, usually we're good. <laughs> this is about human beings and conversations. And I think, you know, really just being able to silence our, our inner thoughts and our inner fears and our inner anxiety and listen to the hopes and the dreams and the needs and the fears and the, and the desires of someone that we're trying to serve or someone that we're trying to employ or someone that we're trying to understand or someone that we're trying to build a bridge with. And I say this as someone, and Roberto got shared so wonderfully some of your past background. And if I really dig deep into the first time that I ever remember being welcomed into a space that I was really the odd man out in was at a camp. Uh, it was through the Y, and my friends from the, the Y camp cabinet will recognize this. It's something called the Pacific Region High School Conference. And I was from Hawaii in a cabin in, uh, in Camp Seymour up at, uh, in Tacoma, Washington. Hawaii, Washington, very different. It was cold, and to me, camps meant sun and surf and barbecue, and it just, I was not sure. <laughs> but I felt welcome. I felt all the things that we've been talking about. And that is what I draw from now when I try to help so many uh, wise and organizations and camps now to be inclusive. It's about asking people, well, how can we help you? What do you need that we're not doing? And that's it. I don't mean mm -hmm. to oversimplify. But no, that, that's, that's it. It goes back to what you said earlier in the conversation. 
about building relationships. Absolutely. And I think that's the, that's the, um, the secret sauce really um, to all of this is, is meeting people where they are and, and building those relationships. And I love the other point that you made, you and Roberto both made about not being afraid to make mistakes um, and just showing our humanity because that's part of being human versus omnipotent, <laughs> as we would say. Thank you so much for that, man. Chad, you're just so full of wisdom. And, and um, where can people find, if they want to talk to you more, or where are you hanging out, more at the Y or in that sphere? Or is there any way that people can, can um, if they had any questions or additional comments or anything? Sure, absolutely. So, uh, you know, we are available uh, via email and, and we can make sure to get everybody's thing out there, but it's chad.hugh, H-I-U at ymca.net. But we also um, have so many amazing YMCA camp leaders uh, from Jerry Hunkowski and Dan Weir at Frost Valley to Jeff Merridge, who leads our YMCA camp cabinet. Uh, you can easily get in touch with us on Twitter. Uh, we can connect you to folks who are at Chad Nico or at Global YMCA, but we'll, we'll connect you up. There's also for the Y folks that are listening in, our internet site link for those non-Y folks on ymca.net. We will get you awesome. connected. Thank you. Thank you for that. And Roberto, any last closing thoughts or comments or anything that yeah. you'd like to share? Uh, two quick sort of ideas. Uh, the first one, it's funny, my uh, entire professional career, there seems to be phrases that come in and for the season seems to be the focus. And the one for right now that um, has come up quite a bit uh, and I'm excited about it is the idea of listening to understand versus listening to respond. Uh, mm. I think, especially in this realm, it's really important that we just take a step back and listen to understand. We're so quick to want to respond uh, to, we want to say something, but if we just take a breath and just listen, uh, we can learn so much. And I think that sort of leads to the other thing that I want to share is, don't get in the way. Just sometimes we just need to step back. Uh, I think I've learned and continue to learn more from watching uh, the young people I work with interact with a variety of issues around diversity and inclusion. They seem so often to have a natural way of sort of just making things work and uh, making kids feel welcome. And, and so sort of stepping back and not getting in the way of those natural things that can happen, especially at camp. Um, I often say working with kids would be the easiest job if I didn't always have to deal with the adults. <laughs> uh, and so just learning from the young people that we work with, it's not getting in the way of that process. Not to say that they don't make mistakes as well, but just sort of sometimes stepping back and being an observer of things has really helped me in a lot of what I've done. Yeah, I call that leading from behind. You know, yes. it's like, you know, just stepping back. You're still leading the process, but it's from a different angle um, than, than, you know, what's always typically thought of leading from the front. Sometimes you can actually lead from behind. Absolutely. So Roberto, how can we find if, if people wanted more information or to, to talk to you more, or just to, to find you? How, how can we, uh, what are some of the best ways to, to continue conversation with you? Absolutely. Uh, well, according to the kids, I'm kind of boring because my Twitter, my Instagram, Facebook are all just my name, Roberto Gill <laughs> Jr. There's no funny <laughs> names, no funny tags. Uh, so you can just uh, search me on any of those. Uh, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, 
LinkedIn and Instagram under Roberto Gill Jr. And then I'm also, uh, as a board member, I believe my contact information is also on the ACA website. Awesome. Awesome. Well, this has been absolutely um, wonderful. I think we could we could have a whole nother session just around any to deep dive a little bit more. But I, I, hopefully this has been helpful for all of the camp professionals that are listening and looking for some tidbits and some information and inspiration um, for this upcoming camp season. And I just want to thank you both for your generosity of wisdom and and knowledge and um, hopefully we'll all have a, a wonderful season this year and all of the years to come um, because I like what you were saying um, Chad about looking at this from parallel tracks and not just being um, concentrated on the, um, the, the what's in front of us but also having that that vision of uh, where do we really want to go and what does it look like so managing it the, the myopic with you know the the um, you know, a more broad vision as well. So thank you for that perspective. And um, we just thank you for, for, for your generosity in this ver this episode of Campwire. And thank you, uh, Nayambi, for moderating a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. It's been a Wonderful. pleasure and an honor. Awesome. Have a great summer. Take care, everyone. everyone. Wow, so there it was. Great conversation from Niambi, Chad, and Roberto um, about inclusion at camp with a lot of really interesting points and tips. And uh, it was it was really great to for me to not to not have to hear my voice all, all, as much, but also uh, just to hear their wonderful ideas. Um, they're three very uh, helpful volunteers in the camp community. And uh, it's nice to have them sort of leading the way on this stuff. As always, you can follow us at ACA Camps, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, we're on there. We'll be, you know, follow along and see what's going on. Also, we are now on Spotify. So you may have seen, if you follow us on social media, you may have seen me post about that. We, you, If you listen to Spotify or if you do podcasts on Spotify or even if you don't, it's available for you there uh, as another option. You can continue to get it straight from the links we send out on social if you want. You can also get it on iTunes if you're an, if you're an Apple person, or you can do Spotify. Lots of ways to listen to Campwire. Um, that being said, thanks so much for listening. Um, keep following along, however, whichever platform you'd like, and uh, we'll keep bringing the episodes to you. All right, thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.